we come to the Word of God, let's pray. Our Father, please help us now as we seek to know You better in this Word that You have given us. We are amazed that You inspired the Apostle Paul and the others who wrote Your Scripture. Help us in our sin-darkened condition to see Your light in it all. And then give us courage to obey You and to lean on You and to love You who are our Savior. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I, I, I blew past my title a second ago. I am the official um, Director of Care and Compassion Ministries. Well, that expresses it, but it, we tried to figure a shorter one, but we never came up with one, so I guess I've, I've got that one. But it, in the course of, that, of this ministry that God has given me here, um, I deal with a lot of suffering, a lot of pain in people's lives. Um, I, I, hospital visits are, are a big part of, of what I do. And talking to folks going through very difficult times. And I don't know how many times I've heard um, my fellow believers in Christ say what I think too, which is, I don't know how people who don't know Jesus do this. How can you do this if you're not a believer in Christ? And I go, yeah. <laughs> well, they figure out a way. Um, more on that in a minute. But you know, there's another question too that comes up from believers in Christ is, it sure feels like Jesus has abandoned me at this point. It sure feels like God isn't there. It's so tough. It's so hard right now. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Because God, as even the psalmist have said on occasion, seemed to have shut his eyes to me. And, and the, the, the throne room is somehow feels like it's shut. Of course it's not, but um, we want to take a look this morning at that whole idea. How do we make it through the suffering? And the Scripture teaches us there are, there are numerous provisions of God. Numerous means of grace, as the old theologians would put it. Obviously, worship and prayer and singing and and in mutual encouragement. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 tells us something about how we do this. So let's turn, please, in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. And we'll look at it. And I found that with Paul, unlike a story, I have trouble keeping up unless I'm looking. <laughs> so if you have your Bible with you, it might be helpful for you to to follow along. Some folks don't need to do that, but, but I'm, I'm usually not one of them. So let's take a look. And this is, comes right in the middle of a passage where Paul is teaching the, the believers in the church at Rome about how they are to live their lives based on what God has done for them. Romans chapter 8, I'll begin at verse 18. The bulletin says 17, but I'll begin at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, 
but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So this, Paul here is focusing on one of the ways that we make it through difficult times. And that is this hope that is set before us. So let's look at that hope to see, first of all, the reality of our current situation in the midst of pain and suffering. Secondly, the way hope works in a human life. And then finally, look at the content of the hope. So the third thing we're going to look at is exactly what does this hope consist of, but we've got a little ways to go before we get there. That's the logic of where I'm headed here. Now, first then, what are we looking at when we look around ourselves and we look at our own lives when it comes to suffering? Long ago in a church far, far away. Some of you recognize that's a little Star Wars lingo there. Long ago in a church far, far away, an elderly elder came up to me after a sermon I preached uh, about this topic, but on a different passage. And he said, we don't suffer in America. Okay. Now, um, but I think the Apostle Paul disagrees with him. All right. I, I think I know what that elder meant. But what Paul is talking about is verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be ours. The sufferings of this present time. Paul surely is talking in part, and we see this in the whole book of Romans and other places that Paul wrote, uh, letters to the church. We see all that Paul endured as a Christian. He endured persecution and imprisonment Beatings by mobs, injustice by governments, and I think that's what the elder was talking about. But Paul was talking about more than just that, too. And we, again, we see that as we look around what Paul wrote, because he talks in his letters about the pain that goes with being treated unjustly, that he suffered because of it. Pains of being thought a false teacher when all he was trying to do was teach the truth of God as God had revealed it to him, knowing he was a sinner. Accused of being a heretic by those whom he had respected all his life. The pain of that. The pains of losing dear friends 
who for many reasons had abandoned him. And even on occasion, friends who had betrayed him to authorities or to his enemies. And then as we look around, there's in Paul's letters, he apparently was losing his eyesight. If you remember that incident in, in the book of Acts where he, he doesn't recognize the high priest at one point and, and sort of insults the high priest for treating him the way he did. And, and Paul said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were the high priest. Well, we think maybe it was because he was beginning to lose his eyesight and that may have been his thorn in the flesh. We don't know for sure, but surely he suffered these kinds of things as he grew older. And of his loneliness, the pain and suffering of that that we see, especially in First and Second Timothy and Titus, and even in Philemon, we see the loneliness of an apostle who was by himself now apparently in prison in Rome. And then one of the more touching parts uh, of the Scripture where Paul asked the younger Timothy to say, please bring my books with you, and also when you come, bring, bring my cloaks. It's cold here. So that, that is what Paul's talking about. That is what we endure as believers this side of the kingdom of heaven. That's the pain multiplied that Christians suffer. Now, to, to further build my case a bit here uh, for what it is we're enduring, we're trying, trying to look at the reality of what's going on in our lives. In verse 19, Paul begins to say some things that, are, that first glance are a little odd sounding. He says, uh, the creation, the creation with eager longing awaits the revealing of the sons of God. And then the next verse, the creation was subject to futi- subjected to futility in hope that the creation will be set free from its bondage to decay. And then he compares the creation in verse 21 to the children of God. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Well, all of this talk about the creation, it's, well, obviously it's a, it's a metaphor, it's a figure of speech here. Much like in the Psalms, the Scripture talks about the the, the, the hills clapping their hands in praise to God. Those kinds of things uh, that we see over and over again. So it is a figure of speech. But it's using the creation in a way here that differentiates the creation from us. Now, God, Genesis teaches us, Moses there tells us that God created everything. He created angels. He created the creation, uh, all this stuff, and he created human beings in his, his image on the sixth day. So we've got kind of three categories: angels, and it's 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 a bit of a hierarchy too. Angels, men, and everything else. Stuff: rocks, trees, clouds, birds, spiders, ants, everything. That's the creation that Paul's talking about here. And so here in Romans 8, as he's using this term, he's talking about that this creation, this subhuman life, the subhuman part of what God has made, rather, is 
in bondage. It has been subjected to bondage. And it is figuratively longing for the same kind of redemption that human beings long for. You see, in Genesis 3, after the fall, Moses tells us, quotes God, and he's saying, as he, as he curses the man, the Satan, and the man and the woman because of their sin, their disobedience, he says um, uh, in verse 17 of chapter 3, And to Adam God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. Bondage to death and decay, ugliness and pain and horror. That's the creation now in its current condition. Paul's point is, when we see this bondage to sin and death, we ought to remember and see and understand that it too longs to be set free for all that God would have it. That tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes are not just tragedies for humans, but in a, in a figurative sense, tragedies for the creation as well. As Kansans, we have a, a they probably live in other states, but that's okay uh, as well. But we have a bird called a killdeer. Okay? These killdeer are about, I golly, this high maybe, and they have a little ring around their neck, and, they, and you always see them on the ground. We used to have them out here in this field right here <laughs> a lot every summer. Haven't seen them this summer. Uh, have you ever noticed what, uh, for some reason, God made them to lay eggs on the ground? They have their nests on the ground. Okay? And God in His wisdom did that. Have you ever seen what a killed deer will do to protect its nest? It's amazing. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Remember that one? Okay. It's amazing to see. Because they will act like they have a broken wing and kind of go off in another direction and they will cry. They will, they will make a noise like they're wounded or hurt. Like they're suffering pain. The mock pain of a mother bird's real pain for her nest. Isn't that amazing? And, and as we see those birds, as we look around us at the creation, and we, we read the newspaper, we say, yeah, that is the reality, isn't it? That is what's going on. This side of the fall. So we're not to be blind about it. We're not to be in denial of the suffering that's around us. Not to be blind to what our lives in Christ are really about. And that until Christ returns and restores His creation and His children, our lives and our world really are on a path of suffering. 
It's a, and, and that's a great phrase too. A path of suffering is where we are. Well, knowing all this, let's just toss, you know, the temptation is just to throw it all up and all right, whatever, we'll, we'll just throw it all up and give up. Maybe even despair. And at times I've run into believers in Christ who are, can be pretty close to that. Because they're so discouraged. But we're not to do that. Or maybe we're to just sort of resign ourselves to it and be stoic about it and just kind of, all right, we'll, we'll give this two shall pass, we'll get through it. But the Scripture doesn't give us either of those options as believers in Christ because He's given us so much more. And again, we're focusing on hope now. There are many other things that God does for us, like, like the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's part of this hope too. So let's secondly then look not just at the reality of what we're enduring, but also at, at the, the hope in which we are saved. Now, not the content yet, but the nature of hope. The way hope works in us to, to strengthen us. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, Chad last week in uh, his sermon on faith, hope, and, and love um, talked to, got us going on this one, got us started thinking about this notion of what is hope. So some of this review, but let me add, it, I think, another layer to it. Hope can be regarded as a kind of wishful thinking, can't it? We see people do that. Um, I, I think that's the way a lot of people get through pain without Christ, is, is that wishful thinking aspect of it. Sort of magical. Got to keep hope alive if we stand a chance of winning the pennant. We got to keep hope alive if we're going to win, right? That, that's, what I'm, that's kind of the magical thinking of hope. That, that's not what the Scripture is talking about here. And, and we know in our own lives of hoping in vain, of empty hope. I, I hoped in vain that something would happen, that a dream would come true, that my life would be that way, or that my children's life, or my husband's life, or my wife's life. And, and that was a vain hope because it didn't come true the way I wanted it to come true. Uh, hope's being dashed. It's another expression when we use hope in this way. Um, all of this, this kind of thinking about hope um, for a change in our life that never comes true, that vain hope, that becomes part of our suffering, doesn't it? Because we long for something more perfect. We long for life without sin and without failure, without emptiness. And the word vain means empty there. And we long for those kinds of things. Now, now, doctors tend to use hope in a little different way. Physicians do. Uh, when they tell us, we have hope, great hope for a full recovery. Or the opposite. We have little hope that she will make it through the night. Or, and this one is important, always be careful not to take away the patient's hope. And there's another kind of hoping, too, that KU basketball recruits have. <laughs> okay. and, and that's, 
I hadn't thought about this until I became a student of talk radio, obviously, but but uh, one of the reasons recruits come to KU to play basketball, why Bill Self, as the phrase goes, keeps reloading every year, is because all of these guys, when they're 16, 17, 18 years old, want to play in the NBA and make all those millions of dollars. And Self has done it a lot. A lot of his guys have gone on to the NBA. And so they place their hope in Bill Self's ability to get them to the next level. Okay. So that's a, that's a similar way to look at hope too. And Paul is a little bit closer to Coach Self and to a physician than he is the other ones. Because when you think about what the physician does and what the coach does, is they have, uh, the one who's doing the hoping has evidence. When he tells the patient, I have great hope for recovery, he, he bases that on his experience working with illnesses like this or with patients like this. And based on that, makes the prediction, the ho- gives the hope, or removes the hope. And a, and a good basketball coach does the same thing with a recruit. He says, well, look at what we've done. Look, you'll be on Monday night TV every week. And he says, here's, here's your hope to play for us. You will succeed at what your hopes are. But Paul is much more than that, Obviously. Scriptural hope is based on our knowledge of God. Of who He has revealed Himself to be. And that hope, therefore, grows as our conviction and our experience with Him grows. Because then we grow in our trust that all that He has promised, and think about the Scripture and all that He has promised, as that grows, an individual believer grows in his love of God and his ability to hope through the difficult times. And to know that at the end of this, and even in the midst of it, is this hope that God has promised. That it's all going to be made right. And it's all going to be what God Himself has from the beginning intended it to be. This is what um, really Chad was referring to last week when he was quoting in in Romans chapter 5, just a few chapters earlier. In in 5.3, Paul kind of rehearses this chain of hope. Verse 3, he says, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing... See, there's the head. But there's a lot of heart here too, isn't there? Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Head and heart work together by God to sustain us in the midst of suffering. That's what's going on on this path that we are on. Where Paul talks about eager longing in back in verse 19 of chapter 8. Eager longing as we await eagerly. In this hope we were saved. Verse 24. 
We wait, how? The end of the passage, with patience. Now, this is a, one of the reasons I'm preaching on this passage is I'm fascinated by it. The way it, it all holds together when you see it as a big, as a whole. And that is that he, he now takes another figure of speech. Remember, he talked about bondage to creation, the creation under bondage. And he talks about a woman in labor. What is our experience with hope in the midst of suffering? He says in verse 22, well, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. In the pains of childbirth until now. And then verse 23, and not only the creation groans, but we ourselves groan who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So this experience of hope in the midst of it all is like a woman in labor. As she groans in pain as labor begins, she knows there's a baby coming. She's felt that life move within her during the previous months. She knows what's going to happen and that hope of that baby sustains her in the midst of all that suffering and difficulty. This is one they've chosen a name for. This is one they've dreamed dreams about already. This is one that they look for eagerly, expectantly, awaiting. It's not that the pain is insignificant. No, no, no. The pain is hard. Awfully hard. But there is God's sustenance in the midst of it all. We in the creation are just like that woman, is what Paul's arguing. Okay, so what is hope then? What's the content of it? What is it we're longing for? Well, Paul addresses that too. Right at the very beginning. I kind of skip by it in verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, to us. Now, the first thing it's important to remember is that Paul, as he talks about this path of suffering that we are on as Christians, He's not talking about somehow us earning our salvation in the midst of this. Somehow, yeah, I'll make it right by suffering idea. It's not um, somehow we're, or even that we're completing the salvation of Christ. He, he finished that work on the cross once and for all. Yet, in all that God is making us in our salvation, it involves enduring suffering. It involves, and that's a word, isn't it? Endurance. By the first fruits of the Spirit in hope. Because if you look at the verb in verse 18, no, verse 25, what happened to that verse? I'll find it in a second. Verse 24, thank you. In verse 24, um, he says, In this hope we were saved. 
That's a simple past tense in the original, although in English it's, it's a compound verb. But we were saved. Boom. All right? That's what happened when we came to faith. There's the application of redemption by the blood of Christ. Boom. But we're also being saved through all that God is bringing into our lives and made into the kind of people that He wants us to be made into so that we will be fit for glory and right where He wants us in the midst of the glory that cannot be compared. Um, we are heirs awaiting the final inheritance. So he shifts In this passage, he shifts the, the figure of speech again when he talks about being adopted into this family and we're, we're heirs awaiting that, that in a sense, that final adoption. That, yeah, here we are standing in the midst of this incredible family, all sons and daughters of a living God in all this glory. And the glory that will be revealed to us, Paul teaches, means the redemption of our bodies as well. Not just our souls, not just our hearts and minds and all those other things that go together to make up a human being, but this that He has made us as well will be redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Seen in glory. No longer to be bound as Christians in glory. No longer bound by, by death the slavery to death or decay. And the subhuman creation looks for that too. And the new heavens and the new earth, there's our hope. There's the hope we can rely on right there. Revelation 21. God gave this vision to the Apostle John. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He, and who's the antecedent of that pronoun? God Himself. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Eagerly awaiting that day is what Paul is talking about. Peter talks about the same thing. The apostles are unanimous. And what we have to look forward to. Because Peter says it in 2 Peter 3. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Men and women, 
by the blood of Christ with this God who is indeed all righteousness. So, the suffering that we see in the creation, that we see in ourselves, that we endure, that we experience, point to the hope of glory. Paul is urging us to see that. To see, yeah, that's where we're headed. In the midst of that. And in the midst of that, as he says in Romans 5, God says, by my Spirit, I am doing this work in you to sustain you and to keep you going and to build you up and to help you and give you that hope that you may be where I would have you. So, our suffering doesn't point to our spiritual health or lack thereof, although on occasion it can, but overall it doesn't. Overall, this is the path we're on as believers. Our Lord suffered. Can we expect anything less? Is the question. If He suffered, can we expect anything less? Well, of course not. Now, if I hit my hand with a hammer, <laughs> doesn't mean I'm not a carpenter, although I'm not. <laughs> but if I hit my hand with a hammer, it doesn't mean I'm not a carpenter, even though I'm enduring that pain. And I have hope, <laughs> personally, that I'll be able to hammer in heaven without a hurt and hitting my hand. Because we'll be building things in heaven, surely. We, because we, that's what we do. But I digress. Um, so, so sometimes there's pain that, that is the result, direct result of our sin. Sometimes there is suffering where that happens. But as we look around us in the creation and as we see the overall path of our lives, we know that it's the path we're on. And that God is working in us. And we are suffering labor pains. For that day that will come of the new heavens and the new earth. And we also, we don't want to go around blaming one another for the pain that we're enduring. Because we know that's not scriptural. Nor should we, on the other hand, cynically resign ourselves to suffering. Because that's another temptation the other direction, isn't it? The stoical Greeks would... And the, the guys on the football field, you know, as the Marines say, uh, pain is, is weakness leaving the body. Okay. You know, we could get cynical about it. We could get cynical about it. This too shall pass. But no, no, no. This is part of God's work too. And we praise God even in the midst of it. That He's doing His work. He's giving us hope. He's sustaining us by His Spirit. We see suffering as the prelude, the promise of the complete adoption, the complete receivers, where we become the receivers of all the blessing of God as His rightful heirs purchased by the blood of Christ. Complete salvation of us in that sense. And we can only hope because we know God. And we know that He has it under control. Otherwise, we would become cynical. Who is this fickle God? No. We see here in this passage in Romans 8 and in the rest of Scripture, a God who knows what He's doing. That's how Paul can tell us this. This is what's happening. 
This is what's going to happen. Rely on it. This God who made heaven and earth, who made the creation that's now suffering, who cursed the creation, is the God who gives us hope. And we rely on Him. And as we grow in our love for Him, we see Him at work in our lives in the midst of it all. Now, if you've not discovered Psalm 119 because it's daunting, <laughs> let me urge you just to read a little of it every now and then. This is a passage in, in Psalm 119. It's, of course, the longest psalm in the, in the Bible. Um, psalm 119.68 used to be, maybe still is my favorite verse, because he says, the psalmist says, You are good, and you do good. Teach me your statutes, God. But there's another verse, too, just a little bit before that, that, that where the psalmist who wrote maybe a thousand years before Paul wrote his letter, but who knew the same God, writes this. Verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. This promise of Christ on the cross, this promise of a new heavens and a new earth, this promise of the glory that can't even be compared, Paul says, to what we're going through now. Put it on a scale. Suffering over here. Glory over here. Not even close. Not even in the same league. Go back to sports metaphors. It's, it's amazing, Paul says. And that is one of the gifts that God has given us to sustain us in this life for Him. Whenever I do a funeral, and a lot of preachers do the same thing, and we get there at the graveside, and we look at the casket of this one whom everybody there loved and still loves, and we look at that casket, what does the preacher say? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You. Thank You for giving us Your Spirit. Thank You for the hope that You hold out to us that indeed strengthens us and sustains us in all that You've given us to endure on this path of following You, which involves suffering. So please help us lean on You and trust in You. And Father, even in this past week, we see Your hand at work in so many lives here in our fellowship. Thank You for Your healing and provision for Marlene Jensen and her heart surgery. Thank You 
for just the ability to pray for one another. And to see at times the, your, our prayers answered in, in ways that we hoped for but didn't know. Like Seth Heidi getting a job this week. We praise you for that. Even as we praise you for that, we think of others in our midst who need jobs. Please help them. Please provide for them. You who created the lilies of the field, encourage them, strengthen them, and provide that work which they so badly need as they seek to serve you well. And we pray for healing too for for Anna Oliver's sister Karen. Give him a good diagnosis and give her healing. And for Joyce Lockett this week as she's had to go back to the hospital, please heal her and comfort and strengthen her as well, that your good hand will be on her. Our Father, we thank you for this time to worship and serve you by worship. We thank you most of all for your promises and the hope they give us, and even for your commands to come into your throne room to find grace to help in time of need. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.